Greetings from Longtime No See, the podcast. Every week, we'll be inviting two blindfolded comedians to answer a series of questions about their careers, lives, and opinions. Now, let's remove those blindfolds and start the show. Hi! What would your opening line with your celebrity crush be? Loved you in Harry Potter. <laughs> Worst date you've been on? A man bit my neck mole off once. You did what? A man bit my neck mole off. Oh my God, Jack almost fell off his chair. Be sure to follow and subscribe to the podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, and welcome to the Spark Parade, where I geek out with artists and entertainers about the single cultural work that's most inspired them. I'm Adam Ons, at Spark Parade on all social media. Thanks so much for joining me. Coming up on this week's episode, you'll hear my chat with musician and actor Sasha Spielberg, who records music as Buzzy Lee. We spoke about Sasha's love for The Daughters of Edward Darley Boyd by John Singer Sargent. Just a little aside, in our conversation, Sasha pronounces it Edward Darley Bois because she's sophisticated. And I said Boyd because I'm trash. Uh, anyway. It's a really great chat. Sasha is just lovely, really warm and engaging. We spoke about how this painting has loomed over her life and career since she first discovered it in an art class as a child. And we also talk about Sasha's ideal conditions for writing music and a bit about her creative process. Lots more, too. Uh, but maybe I should just let you hear it for yourself. That'd be a cool idea. Let's try it. Quick Sasha facts first. Uh, Los Angeles native Sasha Spielberg is an actor and musician who currently releases music under the name Buzzy Lee. Her debut EP, Face Paint, was released in 2018 to much acclaim. Her music has been compared to Kate Bush, Licky Lee, and Haim. Buzzy Lee's debut full-length album, Spoiled Love, is out this coming Friday, January 26th. It features production from Sasha's close friend and collaborator, Nicholas Jar, and is full of deeply personal lyrics and melodies that fluctuate between haunting and exhilarating. It is a truly fucking great album, and you should download it or stream it as soon as it's out. In fact, why not download and stream it? Go crazy! Uh, quick facts about the Daughters of Edward Darley Boyd. It was painted by John Singer Sargent in 1882. The painting depicts four young girls, the titular Daughters of Edward Darley Boyd, in their family's Paris apartment. It has been described as arguably the most psychologically compelling painting of Sargent's career. Though the painting's unusual composition was noted from its earliest viewings, initially its subject was interpreted simply as that of girls at play, but it has subsequently been viewed in more abstract terms reflecting Freudian analysis and a greater interest in the ambiguities of adolescence. The dimensions may owe something to the influence of Diego Velasquez's Las Meninas, which Sargent had copied. So there you go. Now that you're armed with all of this knowledge, let's get to the main event. Here comes my chat with Buzzy Lee about the daughters of Edward Darley Boyd. Uh, the daughters of Edward Darley Boyd. Here um, we are. <laughs> here we are. Uh, do you remember being introduced to it for the first time? Yes, I do. It was mo one of the more formative moments of my entire life. I would oh. I, I, yeah, this is this is the, the beginning of it. Um, That's great. So I, I was taking an art class when I was 
from the age of five to 13. In this one class where you start with pastel and then you move on to watercolor and then the final program is oil painting. And I was just, you know, from an early age, I was like, I got to get to oils. So I was about a year into oils and the way they teach you at this art school is by copying other pieces of work um, and famous pieces of work or famous pieces of art. And I was doing like mayonnaise and I did, I think, an Edward Hopper that was like pretty advanced. But beside me there, and I probably was, I think, 11 at the time, Hmm. beside me there was a 14-year-old who was doing a replica of that painting. And I was so mind blown. Like, I mean, my mind was just, uh, I was, I could not believe she, and she was doing it by the way, so accurately. It looked exactly like a photocopy of the original. And I had such, and it was the first time I felt like deep envy because I was like 11 or 10 or 11. And I just wanted to be this painter and this girl. And I, was so struck by the, and by the way, it was on a huge canvas. I believe it was like a five by five canvas or it was huge. So it took up basically the entire, and the classroom was very small. And what's interesting about this is that you work with all the levels. So I'm working with the like five-year-olds who are doing pastel. And then I'm working with the 14-year-old who's doing this John Singer Sargent replica. Hmm. And I saw it and I remember everyone in the entire class started walking by her to get water to like, and we all sort of formed this circle around her and just sort of watched her paint. And it was just what I wanted to be her. I wanted to be painting that specific painting. And anytime I saw it again, it did something very visceral to me where I was almost like I reverted back to childhood and wanting something so badly or wanting to possess a talent so badly. And I think the idea of, replicating things is just it's it stuck with me to this day and I it's completely come into my music so the way that I learned to paint is sort of the way I learned to make music so that's amazing yeah yeah and I think it's really interesting that uh John Singer Sargent was so influenced by other painters and would copy other painters himself to study them so Let's, it's like Las Meninas right yeah the, the Velasquez painting right yeah um, so, you know, the, uh, the circle of life with painting, you know, passing, passing on that kind of sensibility through the work to other people, um, is a pretty amazing thing. And also, I guess, being around the age of the girls in the picture when, uh, you know, you're, you're seeing somebody painting it is, uh, probably another part of it. That is a huge part of it. It's also... <sighs> It's such a, like, there's so much to take in in that painting. It's a, that is a mind-blowing thing for a 14-year-old to take on. That's a, that's, that's, that's really uh, amazing. I I wonder where she is now, actually. I mean, gosh, she was really talented. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, she was probably 14 at most 15. I mean, really, because the classes only went up to eighth grade or ninth grade. So um, she was young and taking on this. I mean, the depth of the, the painting and its depth and the way, I mean, the corners are my favorite part. Mm, yeah. The use of light. Oh my God. Yeah. Just, you know, to, in like to, the, the, the mood changing from 
girl to girl, the way that they're positioned has something to do with it, but also the way that the light hits them. And then the way that the light creates depth um, is, is just incredible. And there's that like kind of secret back part of it where you can just make out little details, but it's not really clear what you're looking at. Yes. And also all of that chiaroscuro, which is like, you know, the light and dark. I find that I try to apply chiaroscuro to every song I make because I am with friends and online, I'm very buzzy. Like I'm very like <laughs> goofy. And it's, 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 I'm the lighter side. And then with my music, I tend to be more introverted and or melancholy or, or just, just not even trying to be melancholy, but just trying to just state exactly what I, I'm feeling. And I think that in my life is just the chiaroscuro of my <laughs> being. I mean, it's it, 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 that the light and dark to me is what pulled me into that painting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think it, not just using light and dark, but the way that you can use light and dark to uh, to mean different things, that the kind of nuance in any kind of art, mm-hmm. um, having like the the polar opposites coming together, you know, loud and soft, fast and slow, whatever, um, making this kind of cohesive whole. And in this painting as well, adding elements of mystery and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, all of that. There's a lot of conjecture about the meaning of it. And I, it's definitely a painting that you can take on face values and just say, look, this is just a picture of some girls. That's yeah. it. Right. Um, but there's a lot of deeper psychological interpretations and people kind of uh, trying to get at the heart of um, what he was trying to say um, without actually having that information directly from him. So, Which is um, why analytical, I mean, just analyzing artwork and, you know, in, in school you'd read books and analyze them and write essays on them and everything is an interpretation and you can find themes and, and connect everything. And I always think like, what if none of this means anything? And it's just a portrait and there's nothing behind it. And that idea of just, you know, the system of just analyzing art and we continue to forever. I mean, journalists, music, I mean, this, they would, that this is their jobs and, and, I think I sometimes can get self-conscious with my own lyrics and think to myself, you know, there are a couple of lyrics people in the past have picked up on and been like, does this actually mean this? And and I used to go with it and say, yes, because <laughs> there actually wasn't any assigned meaning to a lyric maybe from like five years ago, but people have assigned meaning to it and I've let them. And it, it's only been recently that I've actually been trying to assign meaning to things before anyone else can and know exactly what I'm saying rather than leaving it up to interpretation. Right. But, you know, there's also knowing that no matter how explicit you are with things, that people will still just say, actually, what I think she means, she didn't say it, but, you know, um, and kind of uh, struggling with that. No, I also think um, with painting, and because I studied it for so long, I was just, that was my thing, you know. I loved music, but I was so shy. Painting was my everything from five until 18. So once I started oils, you know, you learn that skin tones aren't just pink and white and a little or or brown or, you know, it's not uh, burnt umber or God, am I even remembering the names of the, you know, it's, it's so Mm. many different colors. It's, it is green. It's blue. It's yeah, it's ultramarine. It's, it's 
yellow ochre and then to get the deeper it's purples it's so you so just learning how to find skin tones using just so many different colors was so mind-blowing to me when I was 12 just that skin's not three three four colors that's it it's it's so many Right. And it's about, you know, the color of the skin itself, but then how it relates to its surroundings and again to the light that's bouncing off of it and whether that light is reflecting a, another surface that's nearby or whatever. And thinking about all of those things, being conscious of every single detail that goes into um, painting a portrait, painting what's around the people as well. Yeah. Um, and again, creating depth, having layers of layers of uh, um, depth, layers of meaning, um, all of the all of that complexity being thrown in. Again, not to keep harping on on about this, but mm-hmm. a fourteen year old being able to absorb all of that and really, uh, you know, take a stab at making a copy is is pretty it's honestly impressive. a show off move. And <laughs> I think she needed to do that on her own and didn't need to come to class. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. But um, I think that that kind of care, that kind of attention to detail can be applied to any artistic medium. And um, it's like what you're saying with your music, that it's it's also about paying attention to those details, paying attention to the nuance, thinking about the meaning, thinking about the way that people are going to perceive your work, making a conscious decision about whether you want to be explicit about the meaning or leave it up to people's interpretation or a bit of both, you know, all of those things. And I think starting out at a young age, having people encouraging you to think critically about art. But then also the flip side, as you said, being able to take a step back and say, this is just something that's beautiful. And it doesn't necessarily need to, you know, I can appreciate art for art's sake without having to really overanalyze it and try to, um, you know, pull meaning from it in all different directions. Exactly. Yeah, this painting is it really got me. Yeah, yeah. It's one of those paintings that, you know, I, I, I mean, in the before times when people could still spend hours and hours in museums, um, <laughs> we uh, thinking of just like, you know, going to, I'm, I'm in New York, like going to the Met and seeing people just sitting on a bench in front of a painting and just staring at it for hours. And this is one of those paintings that I can just imagine somebody really getting lost in for, for a really long time. Yeah, I, I remember going home that night and crying. I was I was like very sad that I I didn't I don't I I was looking at my dumb my dumb Edward Hopper replica no, and I was looking at hers and I just went home and I I cried. I was really struck. I I just felt so I just desired to be her. I wanted to be this young woman in my I mean woman I mean truly girl I maybe was 11 uh, <laughs> prodigy um I just wanted to have her talents and I was so sad that I, you know I didn't ha- I didn't think I could I, I was it wasn't like I, I will strive to get here it wasn't motivation for me it was a deep loss of a reality that I thought was you know I really I thought I was kind of advanced for even my age and then seeing this yeah it just struck it was deeply like it it hurt me almost Mm, yeah and I I I guess part of being an artist is uh to me at least is learning to appreciate art and being able to absorb as much work in the world around you as as you can and uh you know I think for everyone who is a part of creating art um there's always going to be some element of self-doubt or 
um, not necessarily competitiveness, but comparing yourself to other artists and, mm. you know, wanting to, you know, ha- having role models, having heroes who you, you, you know, the, the people who you hold up on a pedestal and say, I, this is the kind of work that I want to do. Um, and, you know, that can provoke profound sorrow or yeah. it can be something that really, Inspired. um, yeah, drives you. I think also for me, truly comparing myself to others is the death of all creativity. Mm. And I tend to do it so often. Um, I, I, to- I compare myself, I mean, on all platforms. I mean, intellectually, like political, like knowing enough about politics, like the way people are able to command a table and have a proper debate. And I don't have, I don't possess that, ta- you know, so I'm constantly comparing myself to others in all areas and I I think with this record I really I really wanted to let go of that and I I I did for a couple weeks and that was that was really freeing because I wasn't trying to be anything with this record in fact normally I think I try to be a bit more accessible Mm. and I think with this I was really Nico I mean that was with the help of Nico but being you know my producer and I don't even, I don't even, that feels reductive. Like the word producer, he's so much more than that. He's collaborator, like, I mean, all of it. But he pushed me to really let go of the, does this need strings conversation? <laughs> <laughs> Should this be bigger? You know, it's it's like he really, you know, we, we worked on that and we had to push through. Yeah, yeah. And I, uh, yeah, having people to support you having people to um, help you to shape your ideas, give you input when you need it, but also having someone to say, take a step back. You don't need to worry about these things. You know, you're, uh, you're doing a good job and you're, you're going in the right direction. Um, And, you know, thinking about um, uh, John Singer Sargent himself having, you know, access to like, the most some of the most famous painters in the the modern world and um being surrounded by people who are creating incredible uh you know art that was changing the way that people viewed art in the world you know he was uh painting when impressionism started uh to really dominate the painting landscape and was really doing his own thing was doing something that was not part of what was in fashion um and um sometimes was criticized for it or uh you know people were a little thought his his work was um you know trying too hard to copy velasquez um but i think i'm projecting my interpretation onto him but that same kind of thing of being able to take a step back and say this is the work that i want to create this is um, what's important to me, this is the message that I want to deliver to the world. And, you know, everybody else can fuck off. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> it's incredible. And so I, I'm so envious of other artists who do that, just who have done that since the beginning. Um, mm. Because I think I've been a bit of a chameleon uh, in my music, you know, career. I, I, can, <laughs> I, I have sl- slid into, you know, different or trying out different styles of singing. I've tried out different styles of music and I have sort of been figuring it out since, you know, I was young. But uh, with my brother, when we were in a band together, um, we were figuring out our style. And I, we started when I was like 19 or 20. And it had, you know, the music has evolved in a, in a very specific way. It's become more like this painting and mm. less like um, Las Meninas. 
I know. I mean, it's become more like, and so, um, yeah, I have noticed that I, you know, I I can be chameleon like, and I, I can slip into different just costumes in a way. And so I think these past five years have been really informative just for just, or I guess it's just also growing up and getting older, but I am envious of those who are at a young age, like Billie Eilish or like someone, you know, 15 years old and or now she's older, but making music and being so just confident in the sound and knowing this is me, this is my style, this is my, it's just, I'm in awe of those who can do that. Yeah. But also, you know, she may evolve into something completely different completely. and, you know, um, it is a process for, for all artists, I think. It's uh, there. There are definitely people who find their niche and you know stay there their whole career. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think when artists are open to evolution and can evaluate their past work and find the things that they liked about it, and you know uh, try to build on those things and work out the things that didn't work as well, so it's all a process. And yeah. Yeah, sometimes it can take years and years, but it when you know you want to get to a place where you feel totally confident and uh, you know happy in your mm-hmm. own artistic skin. Yeah, but it, this you know the, this you know as I'm looking at the, you know this painting that haunted me forever. Um, mm. <laughs> I, I I do you know it looks like you know the whole thing is that it looks like you just sort of walked in on this, these sisters, right? You just, you, you walked into the room and they're all turning and looking at you. It's not so staged. You have someone who's looking away. I I find that I really like to apply that feeling like you've just walked in in on something to music. I think it's just that intimacy that comes with, oh, so sorry to interrupt. I really, that has always been such a goal of mine to have my music sort of be that just, oh, I just walked in on this person having a really intimate moment with a microphone and a piano, and that's it. And that, to me, is more powerful than anything. Posing is what I, I mean, I, with Instagram, I mean, I, I have gone through many phases of like, oh, the only way people will see that I have a song out is if I post a picture where my boobs are huge. <laughs> it, that's truly, I mean, and then you get sort of addicted to the validation that comes with that, mm-hmm. and you're wondering why you're tour poster isn't doing as well as like the sh- the, the the shot you right. know of the body shot um and so i think uh yeah I, I i can tend to also in the chameleon way i tend to be a bit performative when i when i first meet people when i just on instagram i think all instagram is performative but that's why i think with music or why music's so important is i do want that intimacy of walking in on someone mm-hmm yeah. And it's it's also, fortunately, music on its own. I mean, you know, there are visual elements. People make videos. There's photography involved, all that stuff. But that music by itself is not necessarily going to lend itself to the same kind of intense hyper scrutiny that social media and Instagram in particular um, demand. Yeah. Uh, and you can say this is the work and let people evaluate it on its own. But, you know, don't, don't beat yourself up for finding, for feeling that pressure from Instagram as well. I think that's like what the platform is designed to make you feel. Yeah. None of these gowns on my Instagram and this photo. (laughs) Yeah. So that is a cute look. Yeah. 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 Um, Another thing I was going to say is just uh, when you're talking about the, that, that snapshot feeling um, that, 
you, you know, kind of feeling like you've walked around the corner and just happened on upon these girls. I don't actually get that same feeling from mm. uh, Las Meninas. And uh, knowing that uh, that's potentially uh, the, one of the paintings that he took his inspiration from, the formality of that, uh, that it's it's very clear that it's people posing, sitting for a portrait. And um, when you look at uh, John Singer Sargent's version um, yeah. interpretation of that painting, it's much feels much more candid and feels much more like maybe it's because he actually knew the people that he was painting and they were just people in his life instead yeah. of people who had commissioned him to, to paint something. But Would yeah, you... that, yeah, go ahead, sorry. Oh, no, no, go keep it, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> just just the feeling of like the, the kind of rawness of yeah. happening upon something, of getting a glimpse into somebody's like private moment. Uh, it really struck me as well. And also he, John Singer Sargent was, fr- so John Singer Sargent was friends with this family, the Bois, the Darley Bois family, correct? <laughs> yeah, I think they yeah. knew each other. And that is interesting to me because you really can tell. It feels like, you know, when you have a parent's friend come over and they walk into the room, they're like, hi, Sasha. How, hmm. how, what's going on? And they kind right. of sit and chat with you and then they leave to the, uh, their, the dinner. Hmm. Um, it, it, I think I tend to work with friends so often because of the way that you know, we can capture that walked in on us, but we know each other feeling. And I, I think I tend to really gravitate towards, you know, whether it's music videos, whether it's an album, whether it's, um, gosh, I mean, even my friends, you know, who make costumes, they, I work with friends who make me, you know, I work with them on making outfits and they're my friends and I, um, photographers, I'm friends with every person I work with. Mm. Um, and very close friends, not just peripheral friends. I'm, I'm, I have a deep connection and I try to keep it that way. And I think that is because again, I really crave intimacy in mm-hmm. a world that maybe is not so intimate. And even with music, like we're listening to it on so many different platforms and these platforms, I mean, even just the sound, I mean, Spotify with just the sound of songs on streaming services is not the same as, gosh, I mean, I, I feel so like pretentious saying this, but you know, <laughs> if you're, I had to sit and listen to my um, vinyl, to my test pressing because uh, to make sure it sounded good and everything. And that was, you know, on the speakers and just, it's coming from a record and these songs are like, just that to me is what I really want to achieve. But in all areas of my creativity, I just want that rawness but again i feel very pretentious because i feel like every person is like i want to do you know raw real come on let's get down to it but i i think it's all very connected to this singer sergeant painting mm-hmm. yeah and i the, like uh the word intimacy was exactly what i was thinking as well um that familiarity the the closeness that you can feel looking at the painting and like what you were saying, when you're making music and you want to feel entirely comfortable, entirely supported, and be able to trust that people understand what you're trying to achieve. And there can be a tendency, especially in, you know, bigger pop music when, you know, you're talking about whatever, mm-hmm. Sean Mendes or somebody like that, where it's like, let's find the hottest producer and it doesn't yeah. matter if they've ever met each other. Yeah. and throw them in a the, room. Right. Hottest songwriters, a team of songwriters. We're going to put everything into an algorithm and find what's hot. Um, And doing the opposite of that and saying, I really want to feel like 
I'm making work that is representative of who I am with people who understand exactly what that means. And I think the idea of throwing people in a room, which is constantly, even that phrase is used like, oh God, I want to see, I want to push you guys in a room together. That (laughs) is such a funny idea. Like putting two people who haven't met in a room and being like, all right, go create. And by the way, I actually do very well with meeting people and then working on writing songs for other artists. That is Mm -hmm. something I can do with a complete stranger because it is surface level in a way. Uh, And it's, it is so fun and it can be also draining, but it's really fun. And I love writing for other artists because the stakes are lower for me. I don't Mm -hmm. have to bear it all. Um, But it's, it is funny putting two people in a, putting people in a room together. Well, now we can't really do that, but (laughs) (laughs) pre-COVID, yeah, getting people in a room is such a, interesting notion (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah and you know i don't mean to uh shit all over big pop music there's a there's there's space for all of it but it's just a very different thing very Um, different and i don't mean to either by saying like the stakes are lower i'm just saying it's it's very it's not as it's very removed from my world i guess right right and uh in uh again uh using the uh idea of whatever light and dark loud and soft it's yeah. like um intimate and corporate um that yeah. there's a, a room room for everything yeah and i think people don't i think it's hard to compute intimacy on a record i think some i i imagine people either get you know sometimes even i'm i i have this issue if i'm listening to a really personal record i will turn it off because my brain will be like i, I can't right now. I can't go into your world right now. I have to listen to Ariana Grande. Like I'm not there. I just, (laughs) you have to be ready to go there. And I think in this time of people, you know, escapism, I think we're in a, we're in a global pandemic. I think the shows that are really working are very escapist. And I think that is a concern of mine, just releasing something into the world that is a bit darker and more melancholy and not escapist at all. It's just very, this is what happened. And here I am. And I, I get a bit nervous about that because I don't think we want, I think everyone wants to escape right now. I think, you know, we want a Emily in Paris. We want that. We don't, mm-hmm. I don't know if we want, I mean, I don't know. I think also there are so many shows that are, that aren't so escapist. That, I mean, and I just read this book, Leave the World Behind, which is sort of apocalyptic. And I started reading mm-hmm. Station Eleven, which is also, you know, it's, it's apocalyptic and um, about a pandemic. And mm-hmm. I started reading Station Eleven after reading Leave the World Behind. I had to put it down. I was like, I, I we are living this. I can't right. do it. <laughs> Right. But I think there's also like a spectrum of experience and something that I, I, there have been a couple of books that I've read this year that coincidentally were published uh, this year and like were totally prophetic about, you know, pandemics and whatever. And having something that's exactly paralleling the nightmare world that we're all living in right now is the furthest extreme, but then giving people something that has more emotional depth than uh, Tiger King, um, you know. Uh, <laughs> or is, Below Deck the, Med in my case. Right, I, right, I right. binged Below Deck Med. And then by the end of it, I was like, I just want to let my hair down and go to Ibiza. <laughs> like, that was where my head was towards the end because I, I really inundated myself with Below Deck Med. And I got, you know, I had never binged reality TV before. And this was my first like real binge. And I was, I really just went somewhere else for a month. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was the best. Are you kidding? It was the best. Yeah. We all we all need 
a little comfort right now, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I feel enormously satisfied. Oh, I think fantastic. this was great. Um, I had do so much fun. You, you feel good? It's great. I, this was so much fun. I loved it. Perfect. Yes, me too. Great. Thank you Yay, so much. Thank you so much. This was so fun. All right. Yeah, take care. Bye. That was great, wasn't it? Thanks again to Sasha for chatting with me. As a reminder, Buzzy Lee's terrific new album, Spoiled Love, is out on all formats this Friday, so check it out. Okay, my little cultural inspiration of the week. Um, I, like many people, watched Regina King's directorial debut, One Night in Miami, on Amazon Prime. It's a drama about a fictionalized meeting between Malcolm X, Muhammad Ali, Jim Brown, and Sam Cooke in February of 1964. I really liked it. It's got some great performances and obviously great direction because Regina King is the best. Um, The movie digs into Sam Cooke's early struggles with achieving mainstream success because of the racism that plagued the recording industry, like all other industries, and also the difficulty he faced in playing to venues that only catered to white people, like the Copacabana in Miami. Um, I love Sam Cooke's music, so it was a treat to get to hear some of his songs in the film. But there's a scene in the movie where he plays to a very disinterested and even hostile crowd at the Copacabana, and that got me thinking of one of my favorite Sam Cooke recordings, live at the Harlem Square Club, 1963. And that is my inspiration for the week. Took a while to get there, didn't I? That's what we call burying the lead. Uh, Anyway, as the title suggests, this is a live album. It's considered to be one of the best live albums ever recorded, and it's pretty easy to see why. Sam Cooke played this gig to a predominantly black crowd at a time when he was being pressured to market himself and his music in a way that catered to white audiences. But on this album, he sounds so free. His voice sounds so raw so much rawer than it does in studio recordings. It's so powerful and so soulful, and listening to it has always made me wish that I could have been there to watch him perform in that environment. It's the sound of an artist who is singing from his heart, who's feeding off of an adoring crowd, and is totally unconstrained. I love this album so much. It's another one that makes me think of my dad because he really loved it too. So um, yeah, if you love Sam Cooke, and if you don't go see a doctor because there's something wrong with you. Um, But if you do love Sam Cooke, then you should definitely give this one a little listen. And that's pretty much it for this week. If you like this show, please subscribe to it and leave me a little five-star iTunes review while you're at it. Why not? And uh, other than that, have a good week, stay safe, stay sane, and until next time, bye-bye. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.